Here's the deal, guys. Since you're in this service, uh, we got about 80 people out of the 9:30 service to go to the 8:15 one. So uh, maybe you just like coming this late. Uh, but if you would like to, you can go to the 9:30. There's actually some seats in there now. If you want to kind of even out a little bit, you're like, no. I'm going to sleep. The cool thing about uh, shooting the, the sermons and be able to video them is we have some people who live in some other states who have been here and they moved and they kind of miss Element. And they listen to the podcast, but they're like, I'd really like to see what's going on. Because I guess sometimes I like, I don't know, something. And uh, there's like, hey, this is great now. I can actually see what's going on. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really sorry. If my face wasn't in it, it would be so much better. But, you know, <laughs> whatever. Well, I'm going to Element if you are new. Oh, anyone want to throw some Bibles up there? Um, well, one. There's a Bible in the back. If you are new, uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you get an app. It's called Uversion. You click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone, and you'll get all the sermon notes and verses and all the stuff that goes along with it. Hopefully, if you grabbed one of these last week, you're filling it up. If you were not here last week, you're like, Fill it up with what, right? Basically, it's a fundraiser for a place in town. They handle these baby bottles. You fill them with change. We had some extras earlier, but if you took one, remember, keep filling it up. You've got two more weeks until you've got to bring it back. You can take this one if you want. Maybe. Or not. All right. Anybody anybody, uh, having a Super Bowl party at their house? Besides Jason? Really, you are? Yeah. Okay. So there, oh, right here. So we have two people in this room having Super Bowl parties. All right? Jason in the back, yeah, and Jess is up here in the front. Okay, so if you want to go somewhere for a Super Bowl party, no, no, I'm serious. I, I asked Jason to make sure it was cool that, about this, and it's cool with you. There you go. So good. I don't know why that's funny, but I won't be coming by. I'll be like, woo, who's playing? Woo, you know. Nobody else. Steelers aren't in it. Go underdog, whoever that is. You know. So anyway, but uh, talk to Jason or Jessa and, and go to one of their houses for Super Bowl and hang out with some people from Element. Hopefully you'll be glad you did or you just hate me for making you go. Why don't you stand up and you're reading God's Word. It says, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 32, when it says, For ask now of the days that are past which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing has ever happened or was ever heard of. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we be a people who stand in awe of what you have done and that we would realize that nothing like this ever has been done. A God who comes and blesses his people and redeems and restores them. And I ask that we would live lives that fully reflect your goodness and your grace in how we live. Amen. Have a seat. So we are on week three of the book of Genesis, starting on verse two. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. Uh, we're going to go faster than this in the future, I, I really promise. But i got to go through almost six days of creation today. That's, a, that's kind of a tall order for a skinny little guy in half an hour, so we're going we're gonna to work on it. Uh, open your Bibles to Genesis 1. We started last week with the understanding that God made everything that is seen and unseen. I had a lot of people actually say to me they enjoyed what we did last week because it gave a lot better foundation to understand that God is actually reasonable and understandable and it's a good thing to believe in Him. But what the point for us to see in Genesis 1, 1 is that God the Creator made us creation. And how do we know this? Because God has revealed it to us. Now, science is a great thing, but what science does is it guesses, hypothesizes, makes theories, but no one was at the creation except 
God. Again, I'm not negating science. I don't want anybody in here ignorant or stupid, all right? But only scriptures reveal how it all came to be. Only one person was there. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what was seen is not made out of things that are visible. And again, science is not the point of Genesis. Anytime you try to just take and read science into Genesis, you're going to totally miss the point because that's the wrong approach to the book. The point here in Genesis is to understand everything about redemption and hope and faith and life and love. And that's not about going somewhere else, going to heaven. It's about bringing heaven to earth and what God originally intended and how we live our lives in redemption with Jesus. So we started Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God made created the heavens and the earth. That is everything. Heavens to earth, everything in between. Dinosaurs and monkeys and bugs and spiders and hamsters and even cats. It's all in the middle of that. That's, that's everything. And from there Moses moves on to the uh, preparation of the land for human habitation. You have to understand, when Moses writes Genesis, he and, and God's people are in the desert of Sinai. They're walking around in a dry, da- uh, barren wasteland. And so when anything you start to read in this, it has correlations between the two of what's going on with God's people and what's being written. So chapter 1, verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And there's so much in that. I could spend the whole day on that, but I'm not. I promise we're going to get through some stuff. But we're told in one one that God made it all. In verse 2, you read it was formless and void it seems that there might be a contradiction in that. Some people even read this and they get really freaked out and go to crazy theories and say things like, well, there was an original creation, then Satan fell and destroyed it, then it was just formless and void and God had to remake it again. No, that's not what it's... I, you're like, what? Yeah, some people... Nice. <laughs> some, some people actually think that. Other people think that come along and they say, well, you know, God didn't make it the way it is, but he kind of made just a whole bunch of yuck. It's like the hunk of mud theory. It's kind of like what Walmart looks like after a Christmas Day sale, you know, just like yuck, just hanging around everywhere. And so God had to come in and do something with it and make something usable out of it. I don't believe that because God said it was good. Hunk of mud has its roots in what's called Greek cosmology, that God had to work really hard to make his creation do what he wanted. And you can never read Greek cosmology into the text because this text was written thousands of years before Greek cosmology. When it talks about the earth being formless and void, and God brings order to it, the Hebrew phrase for this is tohu vavohu. Everybody say tohu vavohu. It's kind of fun, right? It's kind of rhymes, like, yeah, lay them down, tohu vavohu. You know, it's, it's, it's kind, of, kind of fun to play around with. Uh, this literally, can you translate it as wild and waste. And what the, in Hebrew, what they want you to understand is that everything God creates sets in motion as a step in progression towards order and harmony. Tohu here actually appears a couple times in Scripture. Leave your finger in Genesis, but flip over to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4. God makes things and then creates and reduces them to order. God does not make a completed earth. He makes a good earth. He made steps, a process. We would even call this a sanctification. For Christians, the word sanctification in its most simple sense means that for you and I, God has saved us, and now he is working on our character, rooting out sin, growing us to be more like Jesus. And what you see in the creation account, that God even has built this into the creation account so that we understand what God has been doing from the very beginning and what he intends. The scriptures help us to better understand God and salvation. In Genesis 1, you see him unfolding the great view that salvation is for his people. So God makes everything out of nothing, not hunks of gases and mud, 
and then you see the rest of the scripture pertaining to what this looks like. In Jeremiah 4, verse 23 to 27, God is speaking of judgment. And Jeremiah says, I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void. This is tohu vavohu. And to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. Verse 27, For thus says the Lord, The whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. Tohu vavohu, wild and waste, or literally a barren wasteland. It means it's uninhabitable for human life. Now, when Moses writes Genesis, where are God's people? In a desert. They're in a barren, desert, wasteland. God speaking of his people in Deuteronomy 32 verse 9 says, But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Tohu vavohu. Genesis relates directly to the rest of the Torah and the rest of the scriptures. It's a book about hope and redemption. The truth of the passage in context can literally mean that there is life on the earth, but the earth isn't habitable for humans yet. Like, even on the planet today, there are places you can go and animals are there, but you would never be able to survive there. You wouldn't want to live there. There are places like this all over. Part of what being made by God that the Israelites would understand in reading these words is that God made the earth and he's preparing it for mankind just as he was preparing the promised land for their entry. And when it says in Genesis 1-1 that God made the heavens and the earth, again, this is everything. Not just the things you see, but this is like uh, holiness and truth and purity and ethics and all of these things are in there. And what does God do? Eventually, he creates man and places man in that creation and gives the man some commands. And the first thing God commands the man to do is to be involved in the continuing and ordering, caring for this garden, the ongoing progression away from tohu vavohu. God's intent in creating people was for them to continue the work in words of creating the rest of the world, moving it away from wild and waste, formlessness, towards order and harmony and good. And as human beings, we take part through our actions in this ongoing creation, if you will, of the world. The question for us becomes, what kind of world are we going to make? What kind of world will our energies create? Because even in the state that it is, we're still going to take it somewhere. The question is, where? We're either taking it in ways uh, away from Tohu or we're contributing to chaos and order. Now, that's all going to kind of come up as we go through Genesis, but we're going to keep going. Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Some people read this, they go, oh, no, it's dark. This is terrible. It can simply mean it's night. The sun will come out tomorrow, tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar or whatever. Throughout the rest of the scriptures, after this point, darkness is seen as symbolic of evil, misfortune, and death. But here it probably just means the absence of light. Uh, the rest of the Genesis, you, uh, Genesis and the Torah, you see it becomes about separation of light and darkness and life and death and clean and unclean. And here it's simply night when God starts his work of preparation for mankind. Again, Genesis is about God and man. And the whole creation account is God preparing the earth for man. And you see that God does the work of his creation through his spirit. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, in Hebrew, what you got to get is, is it kind of builds on this crescendo. God made the heavens and the earth without form and void. And the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. <gasps> then it gets all quiet. Then in verse 3 it says, and God said, and it goes, let there be light. That's like, it's all what God said. Bam! And it's like, it's like, you know, a great score from a great movie where it's like, dun, 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 dun. What happened? Well, bam! And you're like, ah! You jump in your seat. That's kind of what it is. It's it's this huge crescendo that builds and then jumps in with God creating things. 
It's, it's really kind of cool in, in the Hebrew. We, and so you'll go through six days of creation, one of rest. God doesn't make something every single day. You've got to read it like a Hebrew. You don't look at what God made. You look at what God said every single day. What he says, gets a point in the scriptures, is that God speaks to us. So we'll start with a Sunday. Now, I know they didn't have a Sunday, all right? The Jews did have a seven-day week, though. And so actually, I'll walk through it with this, what the Jews' uh, week looked like. First word is called Ram Rashon. Anybody know what that means? Throw it out there. Everybody had it at their services. First day. First day, right? The second day was called Ram Shani. You know what it means? Second day. See, oh, look how quick you are. You're amazing. Third one, Yom Shlishi. Third day. We call that Tuesday. Fourth one is Yom Ravii. Wait, there's a skip one? No. Third. Shishi. Oh, yeah. Yom Ravii. Fourth day. Uh, five, Yom Kamishi. It sounds like you're ordering sushi, right? It does. It totally sounds like sushi to me. So, fifth day, Ram Shishi, which is sixth day. And the last one is Yom Shabbat. No, it means Sabbath day, rest day. See, oh, it just tricked you. It's crazy how it sounds like that. So, in our vernacular, to help you to understand, we will start with Sunday. Sunday, verse 3, so it's like a quiet, and God said, boom, let there be light. You guys are so dead. <laughs> let there be light. And, ah, it's like all the, all the little things in Toy Story. Ah, okay, let, and there was light. Now, God said can actually mean this means like a God thought or God willed. A Jewish commentary says it like this. It signifies that the creator is wholly independent of his creation. It implies effortlessness and absolute sovereignty over nature. So God speaks and you see a sunrise. It's awesome. The Hebrew is also reminiscent of uh, like the, the sun cutting through a cloud bank. Like we live on the central coast and we get this marine layer. And you're like, oh, it's so cold this morning. And then it kind of burns off and the sun comes out. That's kind of the idea. God essentially says, reveal yourself. See, the picture is never that God made things and just backed away like deists teach. But that each day with the sunrise is a gift from God. The universe isn't a machine. It is held together by the hand of God. God is separate and distinct from his creation, but he is intimately involved in it. So every time you see a sunrise, you thank God. Every time you see a sunset, you thank God. It is not just that's the way the system works. The system is the way it is because God is simply good. Verse 4, and God saw that the light was good. So God calls the light good. From this time forward throughout the scriptures, light is now seen as a representation of God and also of joy and life and justice and deliverance. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and morning, which means sunset and breaking of dawn, the first day. God begins his work for mankind with the sunrise on a Sunday. When does Jesus rise from the dead? Sunrise on a Sunday. It's amazing. Monday, verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, which is also the word sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So God doesn't make anything here. He kind of separates. And you may wonder, well, what does all this water and water mean? Okay, this is, this is why I get the big bucks, all right? I'll explain it to you, and, and we'll be able to go with this. Now, uh, what, do, what do we have above us? Clouds, right? And what's in the clouds? Water, okay? And then, you know, well, the water on the ground is water. It's like seas and rivers. And then what's in the middle? Sky. Wow. It's, it's amazing. God is preparing life for us here. What I really think is funny about this is that most of the days it says, and God said that it was good. Does he say that about Monday? No, he just, he just goes, 
She goes, it was Monday. See, so you know, God knows what it feels like. You wake up tomorrow morning, you want to throw your alarm clock across the room. Well, you're a Genesis Christian because that's what it looked like. Not an evil day, just a day when there was nothing made for the edification of human life. Tuesday. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. This is the word for land or surface or soil. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. So according to this, trees will make trees, and monkeys will make monkeys, and berries will make berries. This is what we talked about the first week. God sets his creation free to reproduce after itself. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation. So the land makes vegetation. When you get to chapter 2, what's really amazing is when God makes people, he makes us with his hands. So we are totally different than the rest of creation. Here the land's commanded to do its work. Plants yielding seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and morning the third day. So God starts removing water from the land because, you know, we don't want to be like a bad Kevin Costner movie and live on the water world, which would be terrible. And it's really unclear in the Hebrew whether this is the entire earth or just a a specific section of land that he's getting ready for mankind. But either way, you see, God is getting ready to put the man and the woman somewhere. Uh, I think he goes to to the Middle East, the promised land. This is where humanity, I think, lived for a very long time in this region of the planet. I do not believe that, that God was not active in other places on the planet, but I do believe this is where we came from, Middle East, Africa, in there. And for what Moses is writing about in this area, this is where the people are actually wandering at this time. All the people are wandering through the desert in this general area. I doubt anybody's living at California at this point. There are no paper tongue songs going, going to go to California. None of that's going on at this point. Some people say on this day God made all the trees. Well, he might have, but it's not necessarily what it says. It says let the earth sprout vegetation. That's like grass for like animals and plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. That's a specific type of tree. So it was made on Tuesday is like berries and fruit. What a great day. Anybody like berries and fruit? Yes, berries. Anybody like berry cobbler with like uh, crumbly stuff on top? Anybody? Anybody know how to make those? Make me one. I'll be happy to take it and I'll say, yes, Genesis Tuesday. Way to go. It's, it's great. Uh, now, the animals, what the animals eat on, is, you know, comes up and, and they come up with grass. So animals eat grass. Do you want to eat grass? No, stop being a weirdo and going to the health food store and buying grass and eating it. That's not what God made it for, all right? For the animals. It was made of food for animals and then food for us. I do think we were probably vegetarians up until Noah. And then God shows Noah eat anything. And we had the Santa Maria barbecue and it was heavenly. I think we probably had milk cows and goats and whatever you can milk. Not cats, by the way. Uh, is it, so eat berries. Remember Tuesday, it's all, all good. Wednesday, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be a sign for, and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Now some people say, aha, look, contradiction because here it says that the sun was made this day. This is like people who don't know the scriptures don't know what they're talking about. The problem is you've already had days. You've had evening and morning and, and these things going on and plants need sunlight to survive so there had to be something there. Now some people be all crazy and say, well, God illuminated with his glory like he does in the book of Revelation. No, that's not what it means. 
If you read it in the, in the Hebrew, what it, it indicates that in Genesis 1-1, God made the sun, moon, and stars. Again, two words for how God makes things. The first one is bara. God is the only one that gets this word in the scriptures where he makes things out of nothing. The second word is asa. This means built or made something out of that was there or explains what was made. And so in verse 16, he's not bara anything. He's explaining what was made. God essentially says this, I made the sun, the moon, and the stars. By placing it in the Genesis account where, where they do at this point, he shows you that these are created things. They're not to be worshipped. In the ancient world of this day, when, when people would have read this initially, they worshipped the sun, moon, and the stars as gods. The book of Romans tells us we have a tendency to worship creation rather than the creator. And God says, stop worshiping all that crazy stuff. I made it all. I made the times, the days, the seasons, the stars, so that men will have a rhythm to work and rest and worship. God cares when you work. God cares when you get a day off. Wednesday, he begins to set this up. There's a lot of people out there, really hyper-environmentalists, pagan people, New Agers, and they worship creation, have no idea that God is the one that created it and don't even care. God says, I made it. The sun, moon, and stars are not spiritual entities. They were created by and for the will of God, as you and I were. Thursday, verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 22, and God blessed them. It's the first time that word shows up. It shows up 80 times in Genesis and it usually refers to fertility. Plants have asexual reproduction. The animals required God's blessing to procreate. For human beings, that's even, even more of a greater blessing. When you see children, that is a blessing from God, and you think, wow, God is still blessing people. You see a pregnant lady all, you know, ready to go. I mean, Lydia in my, in my GC, she, she's like ready to pop right now. She's just like, I swear she got like 10 kids in there or something. And I'm just like, and I, and I see it, and I just think, that's blessing. That is God still blessing his people, because that's what it means. Uh, and it says, uh, God bless them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Now, there's two ways to take that at that point, that God created the fish and the birds this day, or if he's just referring to the promised land, that God moves the birds and the fish into that area. Either way you see it, it is about God blessing man. Not because we are so good, but because he is so good. Now, anybody like fishing? Yeah? Okay. You, you thank God for, for Thursday. Anybody like, like duck hunting? Like God puts it there, you're going to take the bird out? There you go. You think, be like, ah, Thursday! Boom! Woo! You know, there you go. Maybe not. I don't know. It'd be really cool to be standing out like sometimes you tell somebody, you're Thursday! Bam! Be like, pull! Or not. Whatever. Okay, uh, Friday, verse 24. <laughs> Uh, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, so the land produces at God's command. Livestock. The, these are animals you would need for farming, plowing a field, something to milk, not wild animals. It's like cow versus a lion or a cody versus a goat. Animals for our benefit. And creeping things and beasts of the earth, those that don't need us to take care of them, according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, God made some of the wild animals to live free, some for us to take care of and to help us. But the whole thrust is that God makes it for his glory and for you and I to enjoy. And we're going to stop right there because there's no way I can get through the whole totality of God creating man because there's so many things in that. And so we'll hold off of that for a couple of weeks. But 
I want to bring something down. I hope I can bring this all together and have you walk out of here understanding something really interesting about the text of this. Uh, here's a big debate. Did death exist on the earth before sin entered the world? It's like, I don't know. I don't want to say that thing out loud because I might be, get it wrong and I'll feel dumb. Uh, some people say, well, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. I think that's true, but I think that's regarding human death. Human death comes after human sin. I think Genesis reminds us that we were made mortal, but we were kept alive by the tree of life. Animals don't eat it, birds don't eat it, but fish don't eat it, but only humans eat of that. When we get kicked out of the garden, we die physically. In Revelation, symbolically, there's this tree there again, but it is Christ who imparts life to you and I. Uh, now, so God sets the earth up with vegetation, animals that reproduce, and livestock then would eat what? Grass. Okay, so eating grass. Does grass die when you eat it? We hope so, because you don't want it coming out when, if, you, if it doesn't die when, when you eat it. It's not in the ground. Genesis 2 says that man came and he pruned and cultivated the garden. That means he has to cut. So therefore, it's possible plants and animals die. You must understand, the Bible starts with God making the ground, the seas, and calling it good. He calls it good. God makes land. It produces vegetation. He calls that good. Over and over and over, that word good is used to how God perceives what he has made. It is all good. The word is tov. It means it's, it is pleasant, right. It does not mean perfect so what god does with his good creation he says let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit it doesn't say god produced vegetation god empowers the land to do something he gives it the capacity to produce trees and shrubs and plants and bushes and fruit trees and all that kind of stuff god empowers creation to make more so we talked about in week one. This happens again in Genesis 1.22 when God blesses the creatures of the water and the sky. You know, he gives creation, fish and birds at that point, the ability to multiply and to make more. God doesn't make more fish. God gives fish the ability to make more fish because he blesses them. And this is important to understand Genesis 1. God empowers creation to make more, and in doing so, it explodes with potential. It's going to grow and move and change. It's not going to be the same yesterday as it was today as it is tomorrow. Creation is loaded with possibility and promise and potential. The Garden of Eden is not perfect. Nowhere in Genesis does it say it's perfect. The word the Bible uses is good, and there's a huge difference between the two. When we say perfect, only God is perfect. God is unchanging. When we say perfect, we think static or fixed or unchanging like that, and that's true. It's reached a state that there will be no more change. That's true of God. But it is not true of Genesis and what it says about the garden and, and all of creation. Good simply means changing and growing and advancing and producing new things. Now, in the book of Hebrews, it says that God, if we have trusted Jesus Christ with our life, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So if we are covered with the blood of Christ, we are, in God's eyes, perfect in regard to sin. Jesus Christ's blood covers us, so in that regard we are. But every day, God is then making us and growing us and advancing us and producing new things. It is a sanctification process, just like he was doing with creation. That's the point for us to see. Next week, you see when, when he places man in the middle of this dynamic, changing a live environment, they get charged with divine responsibility of doing something with it. They start to sanctify this. They start to move forward just as God sanctifies us by creating, arranging, ordering, and caring for all of this. This is divine blessing. It's divine gift. God allows us to do something with creation even though we are part of creation. God makes us. He made us for his glory and our joy. It is meant to be a benefit to you and I as God blesses us and we in turn respond by blessing him back. But it's meant to draw us closer to him. We are to steward this creation. But God puts us here and does it the way that he is so we understand what God has been doing from the very beginning, sanctifying his people. 
you, by the blood of Christ, we are perfect in regard to sin, but we are not perfect in the sense of who God intends for us to be. And so he sanctifies us day by day, moving us farther away from the wild and waste, the tohu vavohu, in which we started. I mean, this is the great truth. If, if you don't know Jesus this morning, I will tell you, he loves you just the way you are. He will save you exactly where you're at today. But he loves you too much to leave you there in your wild and waste. And he longs to sanctify you and move you farther forward into who he calls you to be. In John 3, it says, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And being born again then, we become a new creation in Christ. And this whole process of how God makes creation to move forward, we begin to move forward. There are beautiful correlations between the two of these things. When we understand what God was doing in creation, we understand what he is doing in us. Eventually, you'll see that, that when mankind falls in, in uh, chapter 3, God pronounces some curses. One of the curses is that the land will now fight man. And this is also to make us understand this is how we fight God. Every time when you go to work and it's hard and you just you get that thing fixed, it's like, oh, thank God, I got a little money in my savings account. Oh, boom, it just went away. Wah! You know, it's like, oh, I got to pay for this thing now. God's like, yep, that's how you treat me. Get used to it, buddy. I mean, th- that's what it is. So we understand what's going on. And so when we look at creation and God changing and advancing, all these sanctification is the whole process that makes us more and more like Jesus. That's the point. It is the reason why every week we serve you communion. Where you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body is broken for us and you dip in the wine of the grape juice reminding us of this blood that was shed for you and I. Because when we are saved, when we, this, this whole process reminds us that we are like creation. We have been remade and made new. And that God then sanctifies his people by changing us and making us, producing, advancing new things. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to take communion this morning. Uh, and remember that. I like, as they go through the songs a little bit, just kind of reflect on that. The processes that God has brought you through where he has pruned you, maybe some of the tough stuff you've gone through, and all the ways that he has been sanctifying you throughout the process of your life. Because, again, it is for his glory and our good. Um, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back, and if you guys need prayer for anything, they would, they'd love to pray with you. Uh, they're offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply then part of our worship, so you get the opportunity every week. Uh, and there's some food and stuff in the back. They had very, very little cobbler things last week. I don't think they have them this week. Would have been a perfect week to have them, though, right? But no, whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, and so the coffee, get, get to know some, some other people. Guys, I will tell you this. God is a great and a good God. And everything he has been doing from the beginning, he continues to do to get today. Our God does not change. He is unchanging. But yet he comes and he sanctifies his people by changing us into who he means for us to be. I think that process is going to go on forever. I think we're always going to be moving. I think we'll never plumb the depths of who God is. And I think we will always be learning and growing because God is infinite and he's also infinitely good let's pray father this morning I do ask that we'd be a people who understand your goodness and your grace that we'd be those who know that you are taking us somewhere that you have redeemed and sanctified and called us and that we wouldn't fight you but that we would respond more like creation who when you say something, creation just responds because it's its natural inclination. When you say, let there be light, there is light. We say, let the land produce, it produces. And I ask when you speak into our lives and say, I want you to produce, that we would produce. 
And when you say, let there be light, we would be light. Not because we have light of our own, but you living in and through us. Father, we ask that we would understand that, that we must be yours forever. And that we would begin to live that way as if we are no longer our own. And we would understand your unfailing love that never ceases to chase down your children and bring them home, sometimes kicking and screaming. And we would trust you fully as our great God who made all of this so that we could understand you better and worship you more and give you greater glory because you are the only one who is worthy of it. Renew us daily. Sanctify us more and more daily. And have us be humble by the death and resurrection of your Son that makes us perfect in your eyes in regard to sin. But understand the holiness that you're moving us into day by day by day. God, thank you for being so good to us. Amen.